If you're here for worshipful, I'm glad that you have come to participate in, uh, in this class uh, with me. My name is Jovan Barrington. I'm the senior minister at Littleton Church of Christ in Littleton, Colorado. It is a suburb of Denver, so we're south of Denver. And so I've been there about four years. Um, my wife Ann and I moved from Alabama to Colorado, so from the Roll Tide. <laughs> Matt, I've known Matt Elliott back there. You've probably seen Matt from the main stage uh, when we were in Alabama together. Uh, Matt would come down and lead worship at our youth rally, Youth for Christ. All right, remember that? And so we're some Alabama guys. Um, now in Colorado, we're both in Colorado. Anyways, married to Anna. We've been there four years. Anna, I've been married 13 years. We've got three little girls, Ariana, Olivia, and Liliana. And I brought Ariana with me here to Pepperdine. She's loving it. She's in the kids program right now. And uh, she'll probably want to come to Pepperdine because she's 10 years old. And so make sure that you guys eat a lot of pie tonight so that you can fund her scholarship. Amen? Can I get a, a rowdy amen? All right. So she's probably going to want... She, you know, when she first got on campus, so you Pepperdine people, you know, Tim, she was like, you know, I think I like Lipscomb's campus better. And then we drove up the hill, and then she was like, oh, you know, I think I like Pepperdine's campus. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about worship. Uh, the theme for this whole lectureship is the broken hallelujah. And so just before we get into it, I, I just want to say that uh, worship has been something that has just been heavy on my heart. Um, I was receiving some spiritual formation, and uh, one of the the person that I was receiving it from said, Javon, you seem like you're getting a lot of life in some different places. And, and he said, how can you really incorporate that in the life of your church? And that might be you at times. Maybe you're here for some reason. I don't know what's drawn you to this topic, to want to explore uh, worship uh, for churches of Christ. Um, but I think that our churches, in my opinion, in my opinion, are starving for moving um, worship moving worship, something that compels people uh, to want to seek more. And so I'll be sharing this vision, which really is just a series of values. It's a, it's a series of values, I think, that uh, we can practice. Um, they're aspirational values, some of them. Um, so if you're thinking, oh, Javon, uh, you've instituted all these values in your local body of worship. Well, that's not exactly true, but some of them are aspirational Values. So I believe that if we are to cultivate and have these worshipful cultures, um, that we have to practice a set of values. And when I say worshipful, to play on words, um, what I'm meaning is a place where the gathered church, the gathered church, we're talking about gathered church stuff here, okay? Like corporate worship. Uh, uh, when the gathered church gets together, uh, it's a place where we can meet with God and be changed. Uh, to meet with God and to be changed. So that's what I mean when I say worshipful. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, so this is something that I believe is uh, that we desperately need. Because I think worship is offering up our bodies as living sacrifices to God because God is a consuming fire, but yet he's also a God who is a refining fire. So that means that we offer him the fruit of our lips. He is the object of our praise, but yet... Whenever we gather as a church, something happens. You know, we're not just gathering as people to fulfill some obligation, but we're gathering because 
there's a manifest presence of the Lord. I believe that God chooses to locate himself everywhere. Like that's God's omnipresence. But God likes to specifically locate somewhere uh, in the hearts of men and women through his Holy Spirit and through the body of Christ when the body of Christ is gathered. When the body of Christ is gathered, I believe that God does something to change the hearts and the minds of men and women. So to borrow a quote from James K.A. Smith, he says, Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. And this is a shift change, I think, for many people in free churches. So when I say free churches, I mean non-sacramental, non-liturgical churches, which I think most of us are probably a part of. If you dig a little deep, you realize that we really are liturgical churches. We have our own uh, liturgy that we practice each and every Sunday. But for the most part, we consider ourselves to be free churches. We're not bound by a common lectionary or we're not bound by certain things. We, we, uh, we can do what we want, right? But honestly, when we do what we want, it, it looks strangely similar to what everybody else does. <laughs> Y'all get what I'm saying? <laughs> we're not as unique as we think we are. Um, <laughs> so... Um, so we're going to talk about that, okay? Um, so I believe to facilitate what I consider to be worshipful um, cultures in our churches, we practice ten values. Yeah, ten's a lot, but we're going to try and get through with uh, ten. Um, if we run out of time, uh, seven values. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Y'all are much, y'all laugh at my jokes much better than my home congregation. Take notes about that. Okay, the first value is this. The first thing we want to practice is Jesus-centered worship. Jesus-centered worship. That upon Jesus' birth, and as he's a toddler, we see magi that come, and they bring gifts. They bow down and worship in Matthew chapter 2. And worship, all of worship, anytime the church gathers together, is centered, focused on Jesus, not on the elements, not on the church. Jesus is the object and the goal of our praise. He's the sacrifice of our praise. He's the word on our lips. He's the burning desire in our hearts. Everything that we do is based on the sacrifice that he made on behalf of the forgiveness of our sins. So in our worship, we should not only be focused on the risen Christ, the sacrificial Lord, but we should also be using his name and using his story liberally. Liberally. It should be Jesus, 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 Jesus all through the service. And when we leave, that's who is on our lips because he is the greatest name that has above all names. And so I remember when this couple was coming to our congregation and they'd come like five Sundays in a row, which is really good. And uh, they said, you know, we, each time that you preach and each time we're in the service, we just hear Jesus like all the time. Like you preach about Jesus all the time. I was like, uh, I'm a Christian. Like <laughs> that is the goal of our services. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus. It's Jesus-centered. So we worship him. We worship him because of his power. You remember whenever he calmed the storm and... They said to him, after he said that, they said they worshiped and said, truly you are the Son of God. We recognize the power that Jesus has in our lives. And we worship Jesus because he lives. When the women came to the tomb, uh, they saw the resurrected Lord. They clasped his feet 
and worshipped him. Without the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, worship's meaningless. Paul says, what are we here for? What are we doing without the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And so, worship must be Jesus-centered. Um, if you're leading communion, if you're leading worship, if you're reading scripture, if you're whatever, think about how are we magnifying Jesus in our service. And then worship should be spirit-filled. That to be Jesus-centered, you must be spirit-filled because worship is dependent on the Spirit's presence and power. Right? He is the one that's generating the worship. The Holy Spirit is present among and within God's people. That the Spirit fills the atmosphere and gives us both the desire and the power to worship God. James K. Smith says lots of times that Christians enter into anything that's orthodox, believing that is the thoughts that are driving the faith, thoughts that are driving our gatherings. Uh, I specifically try not to say thinking, like think about, reflect. No, I say believe, move. Right? Lots of times, you hear it all the time in our churches, we're very, we attract a lot of heady people. I think people like Restoration Churches, Churches of Christ, because we're thinkers and we reflect, and communion is a reflection. You know, you do the spider face when communion comes, right? <laughs> mm, I'm deeply reflecting on the blood of Jesus right now, right? Think about it. Think about the cross. Think about now. Believe. Believe in the cross. Believe that Jesus. Believe. We've got to change our language. It's our practices. Like you can go back and you can say things, but unless you change your practices, it's not about thinking. We're not thinking things. We're desiring things. We're desiring things. So God is shaping not our thoughts, yes, but our not just our thoughts, but our desires. We want to desire God and his kingdom. So um, in order to have worshipful places of worship or worshipful gathered church, then we need to allow the Spirit to shape our desires, our desires and our beliefs. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, that the Spirit's what leads you to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, magnifies Jesus, allows you to walk and step with Jesus. So we need to be Jesus-centered in spirit-filled. And then truth-based. They need to be places, gathering places where it's based on truth. You know, John 4.24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and, and truth. See, worship is practiced in spirit and in truth. It's based on the truth of God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in John 16, 13, it says that when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. So the Holy Spirit is manifest in the present, but he also reveals the truth that guides you into the future, right? I think the Holy Spirit allows us to advance and move forward to create these opportunities and spaces for people to be changed, Right? There is like this, this goal of life, Jesus, and there's this 
slow work of God. There's quick work of God, but there's slow work of God where we're being transformed, we're being changed. And so that is occurring in houses of worship. Sometimes we think, we read Matthew chapter 6, and we, we take um, the things that Jesus says for us to do, and we exclusively place it in the closet. <coughs> Giving, fasting, prayer. How many of you, if you're in church leadership, you've asked somebody to lead prayer, if you've asked somebody to do a corporate fast, and they say, oh no. Oh no, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. Oh no, Jesus said that it's a private place. I can't, I can't do that, I can't lead. You're, they're okay with accepting maybe public prayers. Nobody ever says that with giving, by the way. <laughs> yeah. put, it in the, put it in the tray, path, you know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, they're, they're just, they, like, so, so, and we think, we think, we think, we think, we think that, that a church is only as powerful as the private prayer. I, I don't believe that. I believe that the private prayer is only as powerful as the corporate church. Where do you learn how to pray? Where do you learn how to fast? Where do you learn how to give? Where'd you learn that? You learned that in community. You learned that with people. You experienced it. You saw it. And so the gathered church is very vital, I believe, for community and also instructing people on how to live into it. So I think that what people desire, what they, what they want, is they, they, want, they want experience and content. And in heady thinking places and thinking things, we like to talk about content more than experience. But experience and content facilitate an encounter that worshipful cultures observe intent and impact. It's not about doing the right things right, but doing what's true to make an impact. Doing what's true to allow somebody to encounter the living God. You get what I'm saying? It's about experience, not just content. It needs to be authentic and passionate. Authentic and passionate. What I mean by that is worship is true and real. True and real. That we worship God not just with our minds, but with our hearts. We want to engage people's hearts. That authentic worship is born out of our inner experience with God. And that passionate worship is likened to the way we're called to love God. So when we have passionate worship, it's fully embodied worship. Remember, we're not thinking things. We're spiritual beings. We're feeling things. And so just as God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, I believe that can be applied to worship as well. So we worship fully embodied. You know, when we talk to our worship team, we say, hey, remember, when you're up there worshiping, worship with your body, you know? You ever seen somebody? It's like, I'm all for worship teams should be on stage, but not if they're worshiping like this, you know what I mean? <laughs> the joy of the, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like fully embodied, you are engaging someone with all that you are. You're engaging God with all that you are. In our houses of worship, it must be evident that we believe, not just we think, that God is real. And so... I think what we need is passion and polish. But passion always beats polish. 
I mean, excellence is the standard for any worship service. You know, when we talk about um, what form should we use, should we sing hymns or should we sing uh, modern songs or whatever, it doesn't matter as long as you sing them with excellence. Wouldn't you say? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, as long as you sing them with excellence. They need to be sung with excellence. Um, and so excellence is the thing that is like the standard. But when it comes to creating worshipful culture, passion beats polish. You know, you want to come and say, you want somebody to come into your house of worship and say, it looks like you're really enjoying what you're doing. It looks like you're really putting your heart and soul into what you're doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God as gloomy. God is really among you. Right? God is... Look, we're too focused on some of the things that maybe make worship right, but we're not focused on the things that makes worship real. That when somebody comes in who you've invited, your pastors asked, your, your elders have asked for you to invite somebody to your church, and you invite them in, and they don't say God is real, then we're not having a worshipful culture. You, get, you follow what I'm saying? Right. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says about experience, having this inner experience. He prays for this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, through your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love that you will be rooted and established in love. This is where it comes from. It's from this inner experience. People will believe that God is real among you. So it needs to be authentic and passionate. And then it needs to be modern and traditional. I like using modern instead of contemporary uh, for you worship uh, leaders in here. Um, contemporary means whatever anybody wants it to mean. <laughs> you know, Like you go in and we have contemporary worship and... Um, you're still singing unto the O Lord. You know, I don't know. I'm just pulling something, okay? You'll follow what I'm saying? Like, like <laughs> it's like a, the, the camp song from 1990. Um, and uh, you're like, we're contemporary. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> Let's use a different word. It needs to be modern and uh, traditional. That worship is rooted in tradition and modern in practice. When worship is rooted in tradition, we're able to adapt and change with modern styles and practices. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Like, all the worship is traditional. Everything you do when you gather together, I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know. Anything you do when you gather together, it's all based on tradition. Everything. Every single thing. Now, we have verses that say it's good to have, you know, take the Lord's Supper on Sunday. We infer that. There's no thus saith the Lord. We infer, right? It's a lot of things we infer. But it's all based on tradition. Everything. You believe that? Everything, everything you do in there. What you say before a person's baptized, how you do your baptism, what you do during communion, it's all, it's all based on tradition. Everything, the pews, the mics, the who sings, who stands, who does whatever, where you put the prayers, where you, it's all based on tradition. There's no thus saith the Lord for any of it, really. It's all based on tradition. How you work it out is based on tradition. If you don't believe me, you can, you can, you can ask somebody later. 
It's all based on tradition. It is. Yeah, somebody. Go find somebody. It's all based on tradition. I don't know who. We don't have, I don't know, Rick Ashley. I don't know. Thinking of the Church of Christ Pope. Maybe it's Randy Harris. I don't know. Um, Just go ask somebody. And since it's all based on tradition, it's based on thousands of years of tradition. What we do is like based on thousands of years of tradition. Okay? I'm not trying to say anything unique what we do, really. Honestly, it's all based on tradition. I mean, we've tried to do some things to try and position ourselves to where we're not like, you know, I don't know if anybody uses this language anymore. I don't know. Like denominations, you know. Like we try and, you know, position ourselves like we're unique. We're not unique. Like you go into another church and it might look a bit different. They might have a lot more orchestrated, a lot more production. But they're still doing the same thing, same prayers, reading from scripture. Somebody's preaching, somebody's singing. You know what I mean? I guess it's all, it's like, there's like a, there's like this, like, there's like guardrails. Like you're just right in here, you know. Somebody brings a goat up on stage. Okay, I'm out. I'm out of here. You know, like you're just like okay. You know what I mean? Like we just all know. Like it's just like in this wheelhouse. Like we just know what's going to happen. You know, uh, because it's all based on tradition. We just manipulate things. Just moving we try pieces. To base ours on the biblical, what's in the Bible. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. Not we do. We do. We have biblical reasons for everything that we do. But the way that we implement it, it's tradition. And there's nothing wrong. Tradition is not a bad word here. It's not a bad word. Man's traditions aren't a bad word. It's not a bad word. They just help us to follow uh, obedience to God in worship. Right? I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a bad word. It's a good thing. Okay, don't hear me saying, I don't want to say like tradition, you know, God. It's, it just helps us to implement what, what we believe to be true about worship. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 9, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment making the tear worse. Neither do we pour wine or new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Traditions help us to obey our call to worship, but they can be stifling when they're concretized. And when our identity is fully and completely enmeshed in them. So instead of reimagining, instead of having a full imagination, we can't seem to do anything new. And so I think we limit ourselves with exclusively patchwork. Just patchwork. And Because you know how it is, whenever you introduce something new into your church, that old wineskin bursts every time. And then what are all the church leaders doing? They're trying to patch the wineskins. And so you run around patching the wineskins. Patchwork is creating maintenance. New wine creates a worshipful culture. So we must reimagine our traditions. Make, make them new. We must reimagine them. I remember... Um, we have a person, a family in our congregation, and he's now helping to teach Bible classes. And he's a great Bible class teacher. I remember when we first got there, him and his wife, the only form of church they'd ever experienced was the anti-institutional church. They'd never been to any other church. And so they come into our church, and they were just like, I don't consider our church to be all that edgy at all, you know. 
Um, but for somebody who's just only been in the anesthesiological church, I mean, that's pretty, you know, you go into a like, main line, you know, acapella church, it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. But what happened was our people demonstrated Jesus to them, and they stuck around. I remember we met with this person and said, I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I just know that we've never really experienced people who had such a heart for Jesus and hospitality as your people did, and so we're here. And now, now they're uh, just a vibrant part of our church. But I say that just to say this, that some of us need to get out a little bit more sometimes. Like we only have like a very narrowed, imag- like we've lost a sense of imagination. And the only thing that you can do to access a future imagination is go back to things you once did. That's why, you know, like whenever you're sitting around in a group and you're like, like right now, oh, the church is dying, and oh, what do we do? Well, you remember when we were blowing and going and we had that Sunday school class? And the only thing you can access is what you did. At my church, it was an egg drop. Man, the egg drop, the helicopter, and they dropped eggs. Man, that was awesome. That was a great community event. That's, we can only access what's in the past. We have a hard time taking what the Spirit has done, recalling the truth, and reimagining something in the future. And so, uh, you know, maybe you've been a part of a church, maybe you're part of a church now I was, where, you know, we had red book and green book songs. So <laughs> you're probably thinking about always, like, Javon, what's new wine? Uh, well, it's not, I'm not talking about blended worship. Now we're, we're way beyond that. You know what our churches are doing now? Now it's uh, instrumental and acapella, you know, and even that, we're behind the curve. But that's what people are talking about now. Maybe what it takes for new wineskins is for acapella churches to plant instrumental churches. Maybe what it takes for new wineskins is for us to reimagine things in a way where we can move forward, get a greater imagination, maybe get out more um, to see something different. So modern and traditional. I believe it needs to be modern and traditional. I also believe it needs to be attractional and missional. I believe it needs to be attractional and missional. Now, attractional gets a bad word, I know because I think we maybe mischaracterize some large churches. Maybe we're a little too hard on them. Um, but I believe that it needs to be attractional because I believe worship is compelling for unbelievers and it's sending for believers. Compelling for unbelievers and sending for believers. That worship must speak in today's language for today's believers and unbelievers. That worship is not me-focused, but God and others-focused. Picture your local congregation as the breath of God. God breathes in. And when he breathes in, he breathes in community and he breathes in new life and he breathes in new people and he breathes in empowerment and he breathes in this attraction for people. And then when he breathes out, when your church breathes out, people are sent, equipped, and ready, inspired, moved, changed to believe that they can be someone else and do something new. So it sends people out for service and for the flourishing of the world and for sharing the gospel with people. That's how people need to leave our services. We're going to go out and we're going to go be Jesus because we could do this together. Jesus calls and sends. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that when the whole church comes together, everybody's speaking tongues, then when somebody comes in, they might just say, these people are just out of their minds. So it needs to be done in a way where it is attractional, but yet you have people there so that they can adopt the faith in Jesus Christ and then go out and be Jesus into the world. Now, what I'm not saying is over-explaining everything. Sometimes I think we can sound way too, like, uh, you know, right now we're going to, you know, take the Lord's Supper. We over-explain it to where it really, like, we're talking down to what we're doing. But I think it is helpful to help people to understand what's, what's happening so that they can receive 
what God wants them uh, to receive through his gospel in the service. You think about in Acts chapter 2, a huge crowd's gathered and many people come to know Christ. And then I think of in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah sees a vision and he sees angelic worship and he says, here I am, send me. I think these are the two things that are at play in the gathered house of worship. You know, we're drawing a crowd of people, but yet we want them to be like, Lord, here I am, send me. Okay, so attractional and missional, and then it also needs to be congregational. This is one of the things I really appreciate about um, Restoration Churches. We really want um, people to be participants. So worship is participation over performance. So that means that we invite someone who might be a spectator to join in and be a participant in the worship service. So we join in with praises and readings and prayers and testimonies, offering and communion. You can play a part, like you add to it. And so that's what we want, that we come together to share our gifts. Because each person is a gift to the body of Christ, and each person has gifts to share with one another. I love this quote by Bob Sword. He says, we don't want to produce a bonfire on stage, but a bonfire in the congregation. Amen? But a bonfire in the congregation. We experienced that just recently. We, we, we laid someone to rest, uh, um, someone who died way too soon, quickly. Uh, he was 43 years old. And, but during his worship service, uh, one of our members sang, oh, what a beautiful name it is. And uh, she sang it to you know instrumental backing track. And so here we are at this uh, funeral service uh, and hands lifted high in praise to God. I mean, worship broke out. I wasn't expecting that. I was not expecting for people in this moment to start raising their hands and worshiping God and somewhat full embodiment worship in the middle of a funeral service. I don't see that very often. I don't see that very often, but here it was. And I believe that that's what happens whenever worship is not just on the main stage. It happens within the body there before you. And so those are those worshipful moments. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he actually prefers prophecy over tongues. And here's why. He says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. That prophecy was preferred by Paul so that the congregation would be strengthened and encouraged. We want the bonfire among the people. And that needs to be intergenerational. That worship is for all ages. Children, parents, they witness each other, praising God together, giving God their affections and devotions. Um, the class before me, you're probably going to want to listen to that one because that was uh, Holly Allen speaking about that very same thing. I know that in our church, we did some um, listening sessions with our people and Kind of overwhelmingly, our parents said, we would like to have our kids worship with us a lot more. We changed our children's programming. We used to have children's programming that was, you know, the entire time. You know, you come in at 9 o'clock, you leave at, you know, 1130. You don't see your kids till you leave. But now we've changed that because not only because of certain things like growing young and also what Fuller Theological Seminary and Dr. Allen are doing, but, um, but from our own parents' needs. You know, I think it needs, uh, kids probably need to see their parents uh, embodying worship before them. And, and so that it can be passed on to the next generation, that they need to witness each other sharing their affections of God or to God and giving their devotions to him. So it needs to be intergenerational, but with this caveat, 
with a bias towards growing young. It needs to be intergenerational, but with a bias towards growing young. I believe we need to hand the church over to the next generation. I don't know how that works. I don't know what that looks like, per se. But we have to hand it over to the next generation. I don't know if you've seen Stan Granberg and Tim Woodruff's research going around. Um, but only 8% of churches of Christ over with 1,000 people surveyed are between 18 to 29 years old. Only 8%. Only 8%. Only 8 I, I, I feel like y'all are hearing me. Only 8%. We had someone leave our church because they say we're moving too fast. I don't even know what we did. I had somebody come in the other day and uh, they were like, we're losing our identity. I said, you need to read this study. <laughs> like 60% of the churches between the ages of 50 and 78 or something like that in the study. It's just ridiculous. Like, no wonder we're dying. We're like, we're not reproducing. We're not passing along the faith. And it's not, hey, listen, I've heard it a couple times here already. Guys, it's not because they're leaving our church and going to another church. They're not going to church. That was 20 years ago. We missed the boat, everybody. Like, we're worried about the wrong things. A mega church coming to town is going to take our people? That's crazy talk. Not in Colorado. Guys, there's no competition amongst churches. I don't care if you live in the Bible Belt or if you live on the East Coast or West Coast. That's not our problem. It's not competition. We should be complementing each other. And at the best, we should be collaborating with each other, no matter what name we wear on the, si on the side of our building. We've missed the boat. We're arguing about the wrong things while everybody's dying. Guys, it's wrong. You need to stop. We need to stop. Okay? We need to stop that. But we need to move towards trying to win the loss of our youth because they're just not going to church anymore. We're stuck in the past of arguing old things, but that's not it anymore. Okay? We need to bring it in the modern day. We need to hand it over to the next generation. It takes, here's what I say to our church. Because our, our, our uh, vision is um, reaching the next generation for Jesus while being transformed into his likeness. And I, I say, what does that mean? Well, it takes each generation to reach the next one. It takes each generation to reach the next one. It takes each generation to reach the next one. And then it needs to be multicultural. That worship is for all people. Um, you know, in the church growth movement, it said we need to be homogenous. So the way you grow your church quickly is you need to have an all-white church, an all-black church, an all-Asian church. And that helps grow your church but that's not acceptable today in our modern culture I don't know if you realize that but uh, the next generation doesn't particularly believe that per se and uh, they want to see a place that represents what we read in Revelation chapter 7 uh, which says that there's people from every tribe and nation they're worshiping God and it only makes sense because that's how the church was born in Acts chapter 2 if you remember that there were people from all over surrounding nations I mean, they were God-fearing Jews, but they all spoke different languages. And what happened? Tongues of fire, where they heard the gospel preached in their native tongue. And the church was born with multiple languages, multi-ethnic, multiple people. I mean, it was multicultural. That's how the church was born. Okay? But because of church growth movements, that still is embedded in a lot of churches. The church was born that way, and the church is going to exist in heaven that way. And so it needs to represent that. That means, that means this. That means this. Now, there's only like 1% of your church or 2% of your church that's maybe non-white. Then there should be something that is specifically done main stage that speaks to that person. 
That, that's how you do it. Because what you'll say is, you'll say is, is that, well, the majority of us are a particular, you know, culture or particular ethnicity, so it makes sense. But no, what makes better sense is, is that you do yield a bit to the person who's the one, the two percent. Because most of our churches are homogenous. They are. They still are. They still are. But you have to do some practices that make it <coughs> multicultural. Does that make sense? So we had to lean into that. All right. And then uh, it needs to be egalitarian. What I mean by that is, is that um, the giftedness within the church needs to be represented from the gathering space, um, both men and women, both male and female. That when the church gathers, we need to utilize the giftedness of men and women because we're all one in Christ. Uh, if you read 1 Corinthians, uh, the only thing we read about is the silence of the women there. But if you read it, it's you know brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a word, instruction, a revelation, a tongue of interpretation. Everything must be done so that everyone in the church may be built up. So that everyone in the church may be built up. All right, and here's the goal of it all. Okay, those are the values, and then here's the goal. And I think we have to wrap up. What I didn't even ask when I'm supposed to end, but I'm, I'm probably sure I'm supposed to end right now. Uh, there's a story in Second Kings, chapter four, of the woman who asked Elijah for his help because she doesn't have any money, and her sons are going to be sold into slavery. And um, he says, "You get." your small jar of olive oil and you go to all your neighbors and you collect a lot of jars and then you go in a private room, you shut the door behind you and you begin pouring uh, the olive oil. And she kept pouring the olive oil and it filled up jar after jar after jar after jar. And it just took the little bit that was given and God multiplied it. And I believe that's what happens whenever we practice these values that we, we come together as a body of Christ and offer God the little bit that, he's, that we have, the little bit that we have, and he multiplies it that he multiplies it and he pours into us and he pours into us and he pours into us. Like we, we pour into him, we pour into each other and he pours into us exponentially. And so I believe that's how we are changed. We become full and overflowing. So here are the things that we're full of. We, uh, mul- uh, our gathering should be a place where people are changed and we're full of faith. That means we go with faith that fixes our eyes on Jesus and that can move mountains and overcome any doubt and any fear and any sin in our lives. We're full of faith. We're full of that belief. And we're also full of hope. We're full of hope. That we go with hope that looks beyond present circumstances, believing that God has something better for us. God has something better for us. And then full of love. That we go with love that surpasses all understanding. A love that, that's ever-increasing. For God ourselves, and others. Yeah. And then, full of the Spirit. We go with the power of the Spirit that transforms us into the likeness of Jesus and equips us for every good work. And then, full of purpose. That we go with purpose to share the gospel and serve those in need. That we go in purpose, ushering in this flourishing community, not only for the people that are across the aisle or next to us in the pew, but our neighbors, for the life of the world, we go full of purpose. So, hey, that's it. That's what I consider to be um, worshipful. Um, And uh, so I appreciate your time. I want you to consider and believe that um, God can do incredible things, maybe bring a revival to our houses of worship in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
that's all I got. Amen. Okay, you're welcome. Thank <laughs> you.